Hello again, and welcome to today's broadcast of Practically Political, where pragmatists talk politics. I'm Dave Spencer, and once again, I'm sitting down with our executive producer, Paul Gilbert, to take the plunge into the biggest news stories in Washington. Paul, welcome back to the show. Always a pleasure, Dave. I should point out that you and I don't get to disagree as much on things these days. Ever since you became an estranged Republican, you won't go right and I won't go too far to the left. So it feels like that old song stuck in the middle with you. Steeler's Wheel, a one-hit wonder. I do remember that, 1973. Well, one thing we've got going for us is there's never any shortage of challenges and controversy in Washington. It's more like spin the wheel and just see which issue it lands on to get started. Okay, Dave, let's play. And what better place to begin than Congress approving a new spending bill, avoiding another government shutdown, followed by the president stating he would declare a national emergency to get the missing billions to build his big, beautiful wall. In your mind, who won these negotiations and why? Well, I kind of view it as the president put the best possible face on it that he could. And that is that he was in a hole, he was getting slammed, and that's one of the reasons that his uh, approval rates have gone up. It's not they've gone up, they've just rebounded to where they were. But he knew that it was a dead end, and so he had to back out. So now he can at least tell his base, I tried, I've thrown it to the courts, it's the best I can do. Democrats wouldn't protect our country and secure our border and, and all that stuff. So I think he put the best possible base on it, but having said that, I still think overall he lost, and I think that there's a lot of unforeseen consequences that could happen with this wall. And as we have to remember, is when we look at what the president's done on his list of misdeeds, this one in terms of ramifications doesn't rank very high, but I think our concern is more the precedent that it sets. So what if there's a president next who really wants to focus on one of the actual emergencies we have, like drugs or guns or climate change or whatever, crime, you, you name it. So uh, I, th- I just think it's a Pandora's box. Before we specifically get into the emergency act about the wall, is the fact that the Democrats and Republicans actually negotiated a compromise a sign that bipartisan legislation is still a possibility in Washington? Or is this a one-time event and they're just going to go right back to their corners? Well, I think it's a possibility, but it can only happen under slim, slim circumstances. This is one of them. Another one where I think it could happen is send the president stuff that he has to sign. Send him stuff on infra- infrastructure. Send him stuff on jobs. Send him stuff on health care. Send him stuff that people care about. That's the way we'll get bipartisan stuff done. Otherwise, I'm, I'm not encouraged. And I mean, after all, why should the Democrats be any different? Obstructionism worked for the Republicans. You got right to my next question. So White House Chief of Staff Mick Mulvaney stated that the Democrats are just being obstructionists. And yet on the same show, he admitted that the Republican strategy for the Obama administration was to thwart any and every piece of legislation he proposed. So as far as bipartisan efforts going forward, why would the Democrats give the GOP and this president especially any possible legislative victories with the White House at stake in 2020 other than serving the best interests of the American people? Well, that's it. As I'm saying, I don't think that they will. And I think that uh, unless it's something that the country really needs and wants, like infrastructure, unless it's something that avoids a government shutdown or provides for basic services, I just don't see much going on. I think the best opportunity during the Trump administration was squandered. We could have had real tax reform, but we got an unwanted giveaway bill that was 100% donor-driven. Well, the other thing is, you mentioned before, this is a manufactured crisis at the border. Absolutely. And there are real crises, opioids, 
gun violence. Uh, we talked about climate change, infrastructure, which actually we could link up with climate change and create jobs by becoming more energy efficient. Yes. But already the Democrats are going to go to the courts over this national emergency declaration. Where do you see this going? And is this going to end up in the Supreme Court? Well, I think the administration strategy, and the president has even said so much, is that he plans on it ending up in the Supreme Court, and hopefully the conservative majority will will rule. I would say not so fast, because I do think that this is going to be a pretty easy one for the lower courts to throw out. And I also believe that, as you saw with the abortion case in Louisiana, John Roberts is an institutionalist, and I think he would be very worried about the precedent this would set and the green light it would give other presidents. One other thing, Senator Tammy Duckworth also predicted that there are enough votes in the Senate to block President Trump's national emergency declaration, but she acknowledged that whether lawmakers have enough votes to override a veto from Trump is a different story. I think getting seven senators, seven Republicans is doable. I think getting 14, which is what you need for an override, is very hard. Uh, I do think that a statement can be made. Um, I also think that in the end, Republicans, we created this mess. We have to get out of it. The easiest way to make sure Donald Trump is a one-term president is for us not to renominate him. That's a lot better than beating him or waiting for some scandal to take him down. So that's what I think people need to focus on. And I just read that Bill Weld is going to challenge the president in the 2020 primary. That's great because incumbents only lose when they're challenged in the primaries. Otherwise, they're, they're just unbeatable. I did want to slip in one last quote from the president's uh, resident immigration fanatic, Stephen Miller. He defended the president's right to declare an emergency and executive action. He said, this is a threat to our country, and if the president can't defend this country, then he cannot fulfill his constitutional oath of office. But, of course, Miller was also unable to cite another example of a president using emergency powers to secure funding after Congress had denied money through the appropriations process. Well, again, what amazes me is that even those of us who follow this with a passion sometimes struggle to understand why the president keeps saying the same thing over and over again. You just figure all he's doing is digging deeper. You know, if he just dug five degrees white or 5% wider, he might be able to win re-election. And, and, but yet it's just hammering and hammering it. And the Oval Office speech had no effect. None of this stuff has had any effect in swaying opinions. And I, I just can't believe that it's not baked in with his base. But um, he just continues to hammer it and hammer it. And I think in the long run, he will be the loser. You said dig wider and wider. For a minute there, I thought you said whiter and no. whiter. Well, no, he's exhausted the white working class vote. He's squeezed about every ounce of utility or every milliliter of utility you can get out of there. So I don't, I don't count that strategy as going to work. Again, and you have to remember, working class white men are the fastest shrinking demographic group in the country. All right, let's spin the wheels let's of fortune away. again. Switching gears, let's talk about the ongoing Mueller investigation that keeps getting more and more threatening to this president. It seems that the public, other than Trump's base, is growing deaf to his cries of witch hunt and presidential harassment. And at the same time, Americans appear to be growing weary of an investigation that appears to have no end in sight. I think that's the fine line that the special counsel has to walk, is he wants to be thorough, but he doesn't want to have it go on too long where people think it actually is a witch hunt or he's just not going to ever come to a conclusion. And I also think that we need to brace ourselves for, at the very least, a fight 
to get all this public. I think a lot of us have assumed that it's just going to be a clean book that comes out at the end and everyone's going to be able to read it. It'll be online, you know, MuellerReport.gov or something, and it's not going to be that simple. I think there are going to be a lot of fights to keep it concealed. There's going to be a lot of controversy going back and forth. So even when the report comes out, it's going to be complicated. So you mean once it gets through the White House, it's going to be a pamphlet? Yeah, exactly. It'll go from a tome to a pamphlet. (laughs) Well, it seems one reason he keeps extending it is they just keep finding more and more scandals. I agree. But again, the, the point is that's how Ken Starr found Monica Lewinsky, right? People tend to go after everything. So I think Mueller so far has done a pretty good job, better than most, of focusing on the task at hand. So I just hope that he keeps doing that. Without discussing whether or not there was collusion and obstruction of justice, It seems very significant to note that there's a parallel here to Watergate, where it wasn't the actual burglary that did Nixon in, but the cover-up. It amazes me if this whole thing is such the nothing burger, I think is what uh, Donald Trump Jr. called it. Then why are these people risking decades in jail to lie about it? That's that's the, the one thing that no one has ever explained to me. The amount of duplicity and effort that has gone into concealing, I just don't think would be taking place if it weren't something consequential. I know you also like numbers. There was a poll from the Washington Post and the Shar School asking voters if Mueller was able to prove that Trump had approved coordination with Russia, would they support an effort to impeach the president and remove him from office? 61% of Americans said they would. And when asked if Mueller's report concluded that Trump tried to interfere with the Russia investigation in a way that amounts to obstruction of justice, 64% of Americans said they would. I tend not to put too much credence in those polls, and I also think that right now, given the nature of the Senate, it would be impossible to remove the president from office. So I think the best thing to do, again, is focus on the goal of making him a one-term president and achieve that goal the best way. In my opinion, impeachment is not the way to do that, and we've seen that with Bill Clinton. I think that the important thing is just to let the president continue to be unhinged, continue to build up evidence against him, continue to encourage people to challenge him. And then I hope that, as I'm still sticking with my prediction, that he's going to choose not to run. Seems I've heard that phrase, uh, make sure he's a one-term president somewhere before. Yeah, it sounds like uh, the man who's done more to break politics than anyone in American history, Mitch McConnell. Speaking of Mitch McConnell, let's spin the wheel again, Vanna. And uh, how practical is this Green New Deal? And with this premature announcement, a policy that's really not very well-defined, Aren't the Democrats sort of setting a a minefield for themselves? This is exactly the kind of stuff that I worried about when you had a lot of these progressives elected. And you saw it, I think, in, I can't believe she's got her own acronym now, AOC, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, who opposed the Amazon deal. So I think there's a fundamental misunderstanding, and it played right into conservatives' hands. So there go those liberals, anti-business And the same thing with the Green New Deal. I think we have to make a decision that is climate change apocalyptic or is it not? If it is, then we have to treat it as such, which which this program does, which means that we have to deprioritize everything else and reprioritize spending trillions on fighting climate change. Or is it something where I I believe that we do have a little time, we have to get moving, but uh, you can't just put the world's largest economy into reverse. And I do think in the long run, Good environmental policy is good business policy, and this is where the Democrats have really stumbled, is they've made it an either-or, not choose the economy or green energy. No, it's green energy helps the economy a lot more than fossil fuels, and they haven't got that message across, and it hurt them once again. 
in the perfect world, wouldn't you think the Republicans and the Democrats could negotiate something that addresses climate change that serves the interests of the American people? That's one of the big, really tough things about the Republican Party is how we went from a party that was debating how to address climate change to a party that largely denies it. But I do believe that, again, if it's promoted as a business, let's subsidize an incentive, not let's tax and regulate. I think that has a much better chance. And I tend to believe that those are the programs that work better anyway. Let's spin the wheel again. Our last podcast, we talked about the ever-expanding field of Democratic presidential candidates, one of whom we didn't think had much of a chance to win is Marianne Williamson, the self-help guru. No. She said, I think what we need in Washington is a more of a visionary than just a political mechanic. America is morally off course. We need a moral and spiritual awakening. I want this campaign to be for people who are ready to be deep thinkers. These are very serious times. We need deep thinking. I think it's a little banal, but yes, obviously you want a visionary. Obviously a visionary can lead people down the proper path and explain to them why sometimes you have to make hard choices today for bigger benefits in the future. That's what leadership's all about. Obviously we don't have that right now, uh, and I think we're woefully unprepared for something like a major foreign policy crisis. We have to remember these first two years have been pretty benign. There have been no crises, no, and if there was a major foreign policy crisis right now, I just don't think this administration has anywhere close to their act together to deal with it. Joe Biden was quoted as saying that, don't worry, when the Democrats come back into power, we'll fix everything. And European countries are, you know, differing on that a little bit, I think, where they're saying this may not be so easily fixable. Europe really does concern me because I think the Brexit vote was yet another example of people not considering the consequences, confu confusing probability with uh, soothsaying. Oh, Brexit will never pass, so we'll just do it to appease our voters. Well, what if it does? So we didn't think about that. You know, it's like the Hillary supporters or the Bernie supporters. Well, I don't need to vote for Hillary because Trump will never win. Well, what if he does? So I think, I think it's the same type of thing here. So really the key for Europe, frankly, I think, the, one, the guy I'm really pulling for is Macron because... If he doesn't succeed, then we may get Marine Le Pen again, and that could fracture all of Europe, and, and that could be really problematic. So, Dave, looking ahead, I know you're heading towards the American Southwest. Yes, I'm going to take a tour of the border. What's your intention, and what do you expect? I'm doing it with an open mind. The shutdown was really the Seinfeld of shutdowns. It was about nothing, because everyone agrees we need a wall. Most of us feel that in heavily populated areas, and the president obviously didn't understand the difference. You want physical barriers because with a lot of people around, obviously they're harder to circumvent, to dig around, to dig under, to go over. Whereas in sparsely populated areas, you want more virtual walls. Yeah, maybe you should talk to a couple of ranchers about eminent domain while you're down there. This is supposed to be all about individual rights, right? I mean, Texas is unique in the sense that 80% of Nevada is federal land. 65% of Utah is federal land. Only 1% of Texas is federal land. So you have a lot of landowners down there, and they are not happy. And there's no, and again, I think that we've done a pretty good job with the border, which, by the way, the president should be patting himself on the back. The crossings are at a 46-year-old low. Undocumented immigrants is at an all-time low in the country. And the crime, you know, any stat you look at. So he could have his cake and eat it, too. But that would involve being shrewd. 
I don't feel like I won much today, Dave. And we just need to find more things to disagree on, which I guess is just too tough for pragmatists these days. You've been listening to my conversation with Paul Gilbert, the executive producer of Practically Political. Paul, always a pleasure. Good fun, Dave. Never a dull moment in politics. So that's it for today. I'll see you on our next round of Practically Political, where we go beyond the deluge of everyday news to dive deeper into American politics. You can also visit us at practicallypolitical.com and follow us on Facebook or on Twitter at PracPoly. I'm Dave Spencer. Have a great week.